Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Talk Recorded live. Welcome to Podcast Winterfell, episode 244 of the podcast. It's the fan call-in show for season five, episode six, Unbowed, Unbent, Unbroken, written by Brian Cogman and directed by Jeremy Pazdua. Padeswa, I guess I should say instead. My name is Matt Murdick. Did I say my name right even? I don't know. Uh, from podcastwinterfell.com, and that's your one-stop shop for all things regarding the podcast and uh, if you could, you'll find podcatcher links on those pages as well at podcastwonderful.com. And I would love it if you would take the time to leave me a review on iTunes or, or Stitcher. Haven't had time to check to see if we get any other new reviews uh, this week, but we did get four that we had mentioned in our initial reactions podcast. So thanks to those who left reviews at that time. And uh, like I said, this is the Fan Calling Show, where we do this every season after a new episode airs, the Monday after at 9 p.m. Eastern. You get to call in and express your thoughts about the most recent aired episode of Game of Thrones. You dial 724-444-7444, and then an automated voice will ask you for a call ID. You respond by dialing 11884 and then the pound sign. And then if you're not a TalkShoe member, and you don't have to be, you can simply dial one and the pound sign, and that makes you a guest on the call. And I do try and take all of the calls in the order that they come in, so please be patient with me. Uh, I have to look over a, a, a constantly moving little box uh, that tells me which callers are still there and which callers are not, so sometimes I get a little lost, but I do try to get everybody in. Uh, and at that point, once I get you in, uh, you can talk about uh, whatever you want about the episode, as long as you don't include book spoilers and a minimum of book comparisons, and as long as you try to keep your language to a, a, a PG level. A Mickey Mouse level is what I would really appreciate, but uh, I can accept a PG level at, 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 on some things, so that's fine. I know it's tough to talk about this show sometimes without uh, going to the vulgarity, uh, what do you call it, uh, closet. I suppose, but uh, I try to, so I hope you will try to as well. Uh, initially, when you come on, I will ask you to give the episode a rating on a scale of 1 to 10, and then if you stick around for the larger conversation, a whole bunch of us will just uh, bring up one subject at a time, and all everybody gets a chance to express their viewpoint on it. Please try not to talk over everybody else at the same time. Uh, we try to keep it as organized as we can so that everybody can be heard. And um, the other things that I will ask you to do, if you stick around that late, is to describe the episode in three words or to give me your best coupling uh, of the week for the episode. Uh, we call that the brothel mates of the week. And uh, that's it in regards to the podcast. Let me just uh, say a couple of things about the episode uh, after rewatching it again today, making myself rewatch it again today, actually. Um, I have to say this, as far as a rating goes, even if I leave like the last scene of the episode off, and I think anybody who heard my initial reaction podcast know how I felt about that scene. Um, I, 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 even if I leave that scene out of the equation, 
Um, the the Dornish fight, as as Donald brought up in the initial reaction, was somewhat cartoonish, um, and that pulls it down a full point for me. Um, there is something in that that we didn't really talk about in the initial reactions podcast, and I'm sure that other people will want to talk to, about it on this call, but I just thought I'd let you know that I'm not total numbskull. It didn't totally slip by me, at least on a second watch. And Braun did get cut or scratched, and uh, given what we know about, especially the Martell family and Poisons, if you watched any of the season four history and Blu-rays, you know that Oberyn has a, a great knowledge of Poisons, and if it's possible that he passed that on to his daughters, uh, any of that knowledge on, then it may be that Braun is in a lot more trouble than just being captured. Um, nothing can say for certain whether the Sand Snakes would have chosen to use poison on their blades at that point or not. Nothing would have said one way or the other, but it is something just to consider as we move forward. As far as that last scene goes, before I get to finally coming around to a rating, uh, I do have a mountain of feedback already in just less than 24 hours regarding that final scene. And uh, throughout the course of the feedback section of the podcast, we will get to every single piece. I want to make sure that everybody's voice is heard on it. Um, And, I mean, for me, nothing has really changed. Uh, I'm still horrified by the scene. I still hate the scene. I think that there are a number of ways that the scene could have been done differently and still gotten the same effect story-wise. Um, and I really do not appreciate the fact that it seems like it, w- it was placed at the end of the episode simply for shock value. Um, and that, I think, is now my biggest sticking point to it, uh, other than anything else. But, um, I mean, I certainly won't restrict anyone from talking about that scene if you want to in this fan call in but if you're calling in to try and change my mind I'm going to warn you right now you'd better pack a lunch because I'm really not going to budge on how I feel about that scene or what I thought it meant Um, so let me finally get to a a rating for the episode Um, I would have probably only given the episode about a 7.5 at best even without that last scene but with that last scene uh, I am going to make that I'm going to allow that to drop it a, a full point and a half down to a six. I have nothing but respect for the execution of the episode. I thought everybody did a fantastic job, and for most of the writing of the episode, I was great, but I do have to weigh in what I really feel were pretty egregious miscalculations on the part of the showrunners and of the stunt team in regards to the Dorn stuff. Uh, I've got to account that into my final score, and so I come up with a six. And with that... There's nothing more for me to say. It's time to hear what you have to say about this episode. And we're going to start by going to Gary. Uh, Gary, how are you? I'm okay. I'm obviously doing better than you are. Yeah, well, I'm not doing too well. Yeah, but I'll, I'll get over it. I'll be all right. Um, I didn't hear the initial reaction podcast, so I don't, I'm getting the feeling that you really, that, that scene really disturbed you. Um, I ex- it, was, ex- it was kind of designed to disturb you, so I think the writers kind of accomplished their mission in that point. Yes, it was, and it disturbed me too. But it, I think it disturbed me for different reasons than than it disturbed you. So I don't know. Um, I yeah, I I don't really know where to go after that. 
Oh, other than that, I gave this episode a seven. Let's just start there. All right. And oh. uh, what do you want to talk about? Um, I wanted to talk about Arya. Okay. Um, first of all, it was first of all, it's nice to have her back after what two episodes. They're really not giving that character enough time to time on screen to 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 breathe and show what all the things that are going on. But the time that she spends on the time that she gets on the time that she gets on um on screen, it's magic. It really is. Like um, Maisie Williams is an, amazing, is an amazing performer, and when she has somebody like um, the actor who plays Jack and Hagar, um, it really shows. How 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 well she how how well she she performs. I would so, I would agree with that. I would agree um, with that. I like that. I, I I like that they showed the house the um the room with all the faces. That was that was that was fan that was fan service right there. That was for all the people. That was for all the people that read the book who had always who. Who had imagined in their head what that what that room would look like? <laughs> and then they showed it to you, and it was like, oh, that's so much cooler than I actually imagined. But um, yeah, that was that was that was cool. I like that um, the learning how to lie better, actually how to be a, not really even learn how to lie better. It was more about becoming the role, becoming becoming the part. It was almost mm-hmm. like an it was almost like an advanced acting class. Right. Yeah, I would say that too. Um that uh let's see, what else is there? Uh other than other than that, I I'd like to hear what everyone or what everyone else heard thought about the thought about Arya and and Jock and, and oh, and that scene with the girl. Oh my god, that scene with the, that that scene with that scene with the girl where where he where she gets where she she could I don't want to say coerce, but it kind of feels like the right word. Coerce her into the gift. Mm-hmm. That was that was that was truly epic. That was that was that was one of those that was one of those moments when you when you really got to see what the whole faceless men and how much and how much Arya has learned and how 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 much she's grown as a character and as a yeah, it was that 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 scene was that was that was a beautiful that was a beautiful scene. Well, let me ask you this, Gary. Uh, we had a, a, sort of a discussion about it in our initial reactions podcast, but I kind of like to get everybody's scope if if they bring up Arya. Um, how did you feel? How, how do you feel about what the faceless man's mission is? Are, are you wary of it? Uh, do you think it's good? Do you think it's bad? Oh. I think it's kind of neutral. I don't. I, I think it's. Um, yes, they're assassins, but when, like the reason the reason that we met Jock and Hagar in the first place was because Arya saved him, and the way that he repaid her was by by killing three people. And no, she didn't kill. No, she didn't kill um, Tywin Lannister, which would have like you know ended the whole story, but it was in in killing those three people, those were three 
people that were making life horrible for not just her, but for for the other people who were captives, and they were and they were. So it's kind of a neutral. It's kind of a neutral balance. It ends up, you know, I think it all comes out in the wash. Like sometimes they'll sometimes they'll kill somebody who's who's supposedly a good person. Sometimes they'll kill somebody who's a bad person. I think it all, you know, ends up in the end, you know, balancing out. Okay. All right. Well, uh, I I think that that's you know, um, if you consider death a gift, then they're your guys, right? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It's, you know, I, as you know, I was, I was, um, I was, I was in the war. I was in the Iraq War, and um, and it's sometimes you sometimes good people are killed along with bad people, and it's and you just kind of got it's it's war, you know. It's like. They're assassins. That's their job. They're, you know, they're, you know, soldiers, Marines, airmen, people who, like, you know, are in combat arms. It's kind of the nature of it all that you don't, it's never, you try to keep it from becoming as personal as it can be. You know, every, you know, you don't, like, when you, when you look down the, when you look down your rifle, you don't see a person. You see a target. So, as far as, Aria is concerned. I think that's the. I think that might be one of the major things that she might be learning from this whole thing, is that whether a person's good guy, bad guy, you know, the mission is the same. It's like this person's got to go away. Understood. Understood. All right. Anything else on the episode, real quick? Um. Well, I'm pretty sure that I'm pretty sure that people that someone's going to talk about that hot mess in Dorn. So, aside from that and Sansa, um, no, I, I'm good because I don't. I do, I do not want to be the guy who brings up Sansa. <laughs> well, as, as, I, as I said at the beginning of the podcast, you know, if you want to talk about it, that is fine with me. I'm not sure that I'm going to respond too much. Uh, no, but I don't want to talk about it. It's that I don't want. I don't want to. Be the guy who has who who says the thing that no guy actually wants to say. So, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna let one of the ladies take that one. Okay, fair enough. All right, Gary. Well, we will uh, let you go, and are you gonna hang on for the larger conversation? Yes, sir. All right, thank you, Gary. Uh, and just as a note to the callers in line so far, uh, we've got Kelly next. Then we will have Donald. Um, then we will have Maggie, and then we will have uh, Hot Pie's dad, who is the most recent caller. Um, right Hi. now, we will go to Kelly, uh, who's calling in. How are you? Pretty good. Uh, last night's episode was something else, huh? Uh, yeah, uh, last night's episode was definitely something else. How about you give it a rating on a scale of 1 to 10, Kelly? Yeah, as soon as you, you downgraded, I... I said and that stole my rating. I said a six as well. Oh, right on. Well I didn't mean to I didn't mean to ink in on your uh <laughs> or, you know, muscle in on your rating. Um but I thought I was six. gonna go lower than you, yeah. It was like, but no, yeah, you came you came down, we agree. We agree on something, Matt. 
We, finally, it's taken us forever to agree <laughs> on something, Kelly. Um, but uh, what would you like to talk about in regards to the episode? Uh, uh, yeah, a couple notes. Um, there were maybe three things that I thought were, were fascinating, and, and definitely the, the Sansa was, was one of them I'd mm-hmm. like to he- talk about. Um, first, as in the progression of the show, um, I thought it was interesting and kind of subtle, but seeing Tyrion talking to Jorah, um, you kind of got this sense that you, beforehand you always kind of looked up to Jorah and he seemed so wise when talking to Danny about Westeros and you thought he knew a lot, but when you put him next to Tyrion, you suddenly realize he's not very deep. Like, <laughs> he, he hadn't thought about why Tyrion was in Volantis and he doesn't have a plan for how he's going to win Danny over besides here's one of your enemies, uh, you know, and it was kind of evident that he hadn't really thought this through. And as funny as that was to realize, it was kind of a um, thinking ahead, like how valuable is he going to be to Danny if she does even take him back? It's almost like Barristan had more of that um, political knowledge, um, at least being closer to um, a king as he was than Jorah does, who's just kind of been exposed to Westeros more than Danny, and that was the only thing he really had to contribute. So I guess he'll still have that, but I don't know. It was just kind of a, a thought to have seen her with, with Barristan for so long to now think, what will Jorah even be able to contribute besides another sword? He's very devoted to her, so that is very valuable in its own way, but beyond that, I think Tyrion's going to overshadow him when they get there. You know, uh, it's interesting that you put it in that kind of perspective because I I, I almost feel like I, I'm kind of giving Jorah a pass for this particular episode simply for the fact that, well, he's just found out he's got grayscale. Um, yeah, he's you know, a little distracted. He, 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 may, he may have had something in mind, but it, it's clearly not coming to him now, and I'm hoping it's because he's distracted. Um, but obviously, you know, the thing that really hit me was I thought that uh, Ian Glenn just did a fantastic job conveying Jorah, uh, you know, taking in the news of uh, about his father. Um, because he, he, uh, you can't really talk to Tyrion about it. I mean, you, the, the guy's like your captive. You know, you can't, can't really express anything. And the way that he was just kind of trying to hold it all in and everything, I really felt bad for Jorah in this moment and, and the fact that he's got grayscale now. And now you bring up this other stuff that is like, you know, poor Jorah, what, what's he got to live for except the friend zone at this point? I know, and that's all he wants is just to be close to her. You could tell he was even kind of contented to not be her lover, just to just be near her is all he wants. So I, I do hope that he gets that. And yet he couldn't show any vulnerability or weakness in front of Tyrion when you knew uh-huh. that he was he he respected his father enough you knew because he gave him back the sword before he left and he at least respected his dad enough to do that so you know he probably was ashamed and wanted to you know at least have contacted him one more time even if you never thought it was possible like you still have that hope and now it's never an option and it's it was feeling for him, and yeah, he's doing a great job. Like he did that weird grunch when you sat down on the log next to him, next to next to Tyrion. I'm like, is he? Does the grayscale like affect him, or is he just old? Because they mentioned that later, how he's almost sixty, and I was like, that was an interesting choice. I didn't know what that was supposed to be. 
I thought it just meant that he looked older than he actually is, but I, yeah. I did. I I was hoping that was what that meant. It's just that the, the slavers were uh, not uh, were were not very good judges of age. But uh, yeah. yeah. Speaking of those slavers, Matt. Uh huh. Did you recognize any of them? Oh, Ottawali, of course. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mister Echo is now a slaver. Uh, he, Right, and he's and he's still on an island. Go figure. I know. I figured obviously that's where the island is. It's off the coast of Atlantis or, or Valeria. It's off the coast of Valeria. That's why nobody can find it. That's why nobody can find it. It's it's near the doom. It's near the doom. Oh, I'm sorry. I had to. Um, yeah. <laughs> one more thing before for Santa. I know. I don't mean to build it up to it, but I did notice that there was this really cool metaphor with Arya, um, and she's in this house of black and white, and every time she advances a little more, like, she understands their philosophy and, you know, their, you know, what they're doing there, and she goes a little bit deeper into their realm, and it's this metaphor, she goes a little bit deeper into the house of black and white, you know, she keeps going down another level, and it's psychologically this metaphor that is really neat to see and, and that they utilize with this this building and this, this group of people. I think that was a very neat visual. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, I, I, I think that's, that's, a, uh, that's a great kind of literary note to make on it. it um, sometimes I think book readers see those kind of things more so than TV viewers. Not that TV viewers aren't sharp. There's lots of TV viewers out there that are, but uh, sometimes I think we book readers look for that kind of stuff a little harder. Sometimes we yeah. fail because we look at it. We look for it a little harder. Oh, I too. know. And it's, I kind of felt that way with the with the King's Landing stuff. It's it's very interesting, and it's all these little machinations. But I feel like they're pretty on the surface or just below the surface. They don't seem super intriguing, and maybe they'll seem more thrown out at Littlefinger's back. But it was it, it's lost kind of its you know, the twists and turns that you expect when you had when you had a Varus there or you had a Tywin there or even a Tyrion. Like, you just don't always know what everybody's planning and plotting. And, and you know Cersei was not writing anything reasonable on that paper when um, Queen Ale- or when Lady Olenna came in, right? <laughs> yeah, right, yeah, yeah. Definitely not a plotter the same way Tywin was. I really wanted to see her, like, throw the paper away or to zoom in on the paper and see that she's just scribbling or something. Right. Yeah. Uh, well, Kelly, I, I, I mean, I hate to be the guy to bring it up, but you're the first female caller that we've had on this podcast since the airing of that episode. Um, yeah. I, I, I don't want to put you on the spot if you don't want to talk about it. Um, I totally understand. But if you have any thoughts to express about that particular scene, feel free. Yeah, I, I definitely thought a lot about it, and I read some articles just to get kind of a general consensus. Like, apparently Twitter blows up, and I didn't, I don't Twitter much, so I, I wanted to see what people were saying in a very concise way. Usually articles have the best resources for that. And you, I kind of got a lot of the feeling that people were mourning Santa in this, after this scene. Like, they were almost like she had died or something. And I don't know, like, I don't have um, super... I think we'll call them triggers about that kind of a thing. I, whether you call it rape or not, there was something bad happened to her, but she's not, she isn't just that. Like, I don't think her character has been assassinated. I don't think her, her arc is lost. 
I, you know, people are saying, oh, but she was becoming so strong. And that was my first reaction. Like, she had that awesome bathtub scene where she just, her voice lowered an octave, and she turns around completely bold, kind of like Danny did, you know, with, um, you know, when she walked out of the bathtub before, like, just completely uh, in her own skin, comfortable, and, and, you know, looked Miranda in the eye and called her out. And you thought, wow, this is a new Santa. This is awesome. And I think they almost did that to either pull the rug out from under us with the last scene or to let us know that there's more to expect and not to let this be, you know, where we're mourning her, like she's lost something and that she's no longer the strong person that we just saw her a few minutes ago earlier, you know? Yep. Uh, Fair enough. Yeah, and... But definitely in a vacuum, that scene had a lot of similar similar reactions, like just emotional reactions, like the Theon torture scene did. It felt mm. so, it felt so un, unnecessarily violent and, and painful, to, you know, because you're so empathetic with these characters and they they're going through that and you don't want to see that. But in a vacuum, that's how you feel. But I think in the context of the season, there was there was more to that Theon arc that put that into perspective. Some people still thought it was over the line, and I think some people still feel that way about Santa in this scene. But I think in the arc of the season, it'll have more context to give it perspective. And I really think that the Santa character is not, you know, broken by this. She isn't just going to be a rape victim for the rest of the series. Like, she's so much stronger, so much more than just the things that are happening to her. And I think giving her more credit than that is, is what the showrunners are trying to, you know, um, hedge their bets on. Like, things, bad things can happen to these characters that we love, and they're more than that. And they, they aren't just being raped. They are overcoming things or something like that. That's kind of my, my feelings about it. I'm more hopeful about it. I do think it's terrible. It was hard to watch, and I definitely get what you're saying about it. But yeah, I don't know. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'll feel more about it the next episode, but I'm... I'm <laughs> I'm sympathetic for the people who are who are feeling pained by it and disappointed. And I absolutely agreed with what you said about it being at the end of the episode. I talked about this at lunch with my wife when we were talking about that why it was at the end and it felt like a you know a device, yeah, to to be like a shocker. And I didn't yeah. appreciate that. But if they cut right back to it, then I think that it had meaning. If they cut right back to it and Sian does something, or if they cut right back to it and she does pull a knife out of that sleeve that we all were hoping she would do or something, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm hoping. Well, I, I just, I also want to say, you know, um, you brought up a comparison to Danny and, and her arc. Um, and yeah. a, a similar thing to ha- happened with her to Drogo or, or, or with Drogo. It happened. It, the same thing happened. Essentially. It was a marriage yeah. night. He took her against her will. Um, regardless of whether it's a marriage night or not, taking someone against their will is not right, in my opinion. I don't care. It, that's, it's just wrong. Um, and we have seen Danny survive it and move beyond it. And so I do also have the same hope for Sansa in regards to that. How long it will take her character to do so is another question. Um, but uh, because Danny seemed to adapt to it pretty quickly, um, and even yeah. learned how how to empower herself with that. Um, will Sansa do the same thing? I don't know, um, but we'll we'll just have to see. 
it's definitely, I think, to be continued, yeah. And, and the, I just hope that people aren't, like, giving, taking this action that has been done to Santa and saying that that removed all of her agency. Like, she, it doesn't, it happens to her. It's not who she is. And I guess that's my biggest argument for it there at you this go. point. Yeah. That's a good point. That's a good point. Okay. All right, Kelly. Well, i got to move on to some other callers. Yeah. I've got a lot of other callers on the line. Yeah. So, uh, we going to stick around for the larger conversation later. You know it. All right. Thank you, Kelly. Uh, and we will next move to uh, Donald uh, from our Initial Reactions podcast. Donald, how are you, sir? I'm pretty good. How are you, Matt? I'm doing okay. Doing okay. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to hang in there, bro. Uh, did, did you come up with a rating for the episode uh, after we talked last night? Oh, yes, totally. I'll give it a 9.5. Right on, a 9.5. Um, is I mean, that's the highest rating I think I've ever heard, heard you give a Game of Thrones episode, at least on my podcast. So uh, why was that the case? Well, for, for one, you know, I'm a fan of Arya, and this was a, uh, someone said fan service episode, which I, I kind of agree with a, a little bit. And it was an Aria episode, more more or less. So I I loved it, and that's the kind of stuff that I wanted to that I was waiting for. I think I said that before, but I was waiting to see how the show would tackle that. And also, it hasn't hasn't had a lot of Aria this season, so I was very happy to see some uh, extended scenes with her, not just quick shots, but some extended scenes. And uh, people can can not like a certain scene, uh, such as the Sansa scene, but I still think it was very powerful and it, it drew a lot of emotion. So I thought it was. It did what it was supposed to do, so I, I, I don't hold that against the episode. Gotcha. All right. Uh, fair enough, sir. Uh, I suppose you want to talk a little bit about Arya since she's your fave, huh? I, I wouldn't mind talking about Arya, but that's not really the reason that I call. Okay. Go ahead. Um, okay. Well, first of all, if I could just take the floor for a second and try to be as respectful as possible. But uh, I got a lot of tweets yesterday and, and this morning and today and a few minutes ago uh, about the, the Sansa stuff. So, first of all, I, I would like to say that with all due respect to the, the caller that was the first caller, I I don't think you necessarily have to be a woman to empathize with the concept of, of rape and what is rape and what isn't rape and how somebody would feel about it. I don't think that's something that is restricted only for women. I, I think mm-hmm. that that's, that's kind of naive to, to think that, and a lot of people have said that. And I got a tweet a little while ago about hey, you're a guy, you don't need to talk about that. And I think that that's the ignorant thing to say. Uh, I just want to, I guess, set the record straight on that. If you can disagree with it or not, anybody, that, that's okay. One thing I try to do is respect everyone's opinion, even if I disagree with it. But I, I do want to set the record straight on that. I, that's not something I believe is only is restricted to something only a woman is entitled to have an opinion on, because it, it doesn't just happen to women. Uh, second, someone mentioned the, the comparison. I think it was uh, the call that was just on. Uh, she made some great points. Uh, the the comparison to Danny and what happened to, to Daenerys, I, I think that that scene was a little more disturbing because in this particular situation, I don't I don't think that what happened to Sansa was necessarily rape. And here's why. And and again, you you guys are welcome to disagree with me and set me straight. I don't have a problem with that. But I think what Sansa did is a little more of of a strong choice. I think that uh, due to what happened last season with Tyrion, she knew the, the implications of committing to a marriage, and she knew that that would come with a, a quote-unquote betting. So I don't think that that's something that caught her by surprise. I think she was accepting of that, and this was a sort of a power move for the character. 
uh, I think that she had every chance to, to not do it. She she put up a little fight, and when Littlefinger explained to her, like, this is what's going to happen, I think that she made that choice. And this is before the article came out with Cogman that, that kind of says the same thing I was just saying, that there was a choice for Sansa to do that. So I think in a way it's sort of a stronger move. Uh, it, it's not necessarily like with Daenerys where I think that that would be more in line with, with rape because I don't think she had much choice in that. I think that, that was her brother kind of forcing that upon her. And then, of course, Khal Drogo forcing that upon her. And I think that was a, a lot more disturbing scene, but a lot of people don't seem to uh, have a problem with that scene. And I can understand that coming from the, the place of we watched Sansa grow up from literally a, a, a child actor, and now she's an 18-year-old woman. Whereas with Danny, we were just introduced to that character when it happened. So there's a little more growth. Uh, we're growing up with that character, so I can understand the the problems that people are having with that scene. So I just want to, to say that too. But yeah. I do think it was, it's sort of the same thing with the Kyle, Kyle Drogo and, and Danny thing. But in this particular situation, I think that Sansa had more of a say in it. And it was sort of a power move. And uh, she sort of accepted that that was going to happen. If that makes any sense, am, am I am I making sense to you, Matt? Well, I I gotta say, Donald, that for me, um, her choice was made to get to the bedroom. Okay. I I think that the audio that was playing while Theon uh, was watching as the camera closed on in him clearly showed that she had never intended for that to happen, and that to me is what rape is about. It's about power, and it's about uh, the fact that. She, she didn't choose to give over that power. She was made to give over that power once she was in that room. She chose to get. She chose to be in the room, but that doesn't mean that she accepts every consequence that happens. Is it okay to beat your wife once you marry her? It's not. It, and and that to me is what it's about. And that's what that audio said. That was whimpering, pleading, screaming. That there there was nothing consensual about those sounds that were being made as Theon as Theon was watching. Well, here's my rebuttal to that, Matt. What I got from that particular, the, the whimpering was that Sansa is a, and, and I know this is like a Disney podcast, so feel free to edit this if it comes out wrong, but Sansa is a virgin. So what I got from that was sort of like, I, I'm not allowed to say it right. Um, the, the roughness was there, I admit. Yeah, it, it, but I think that it would be more more painful for a virgin, but I, I do think 100% that when Sansa, Sansa knew that she was going to have to have sex with him, and when he said, take off your clothes, she started to do it. So I, that tells me that, yeah, she, she's fully intended. Now, now what you're saying is, has total merit, and it's, it's something that I thought about, and it, it kind of makes it hard to, to, to say. But, yeah, she might not have, have anticipated that it would be rough, but I think that she had committed to the idea that she was going to sleep with that man. If that makes sense, I'm trying to be respectful to everyone's opinion. Well, I I I, th I think that that I think that that's a fair point. Um, but my point is is that once she decided to be with that man, it doesn't make it all right what that man did, and that's why it was rape to me. Yeah, but what what did, I mean? What did he do? We we didn't get to see. We we don't know if he beat her or or if he was just a little rough or anything like that. We like I don't think we got to see the full extent of what happened, which I think was intentional. Like, like you said, a lot of the disturbing elements was that it happened off screen and we yeah. didn't really well, get to see. I, I think the look on Theon's face was supposed to tell you what was happening there. Yeah. I, I also got a different feeling from that. I think that the, the total 
I think Axel even mentioned this um, in his initial reaction, but I, I think that the choice to linger on Theon's face instead of what was going on was also, in a way, it, it sort of diluted the idea that this is a shock value scene and we're going to have Sansa go through this. I think it sort of, sort of in a way, at least for me, it shifted it to a, this is a Theon scene now, and we're going to close the episode on, on, on this, and we want people to think, how is Theon going to react to this? Is he going to now go against Ramsay? To me, I think that that sort of diluted a little bit. I don't know if you, and, I know you don't. And, and know to me, think. that makes it even worse because I feel like you know, <laughs> what's happening to Sansa shouldn't be about Theon at all. Uh, yeah. that, that made it worse for and me. It, and it's a no win. I, I understand that it's a no win, but I, I they want to get those thoughts out of there, and I don't want to take up too much of your time because these are one of my favorite shows to listen to. I love hearing everyone's different opinions. So uh, I did want to throw that out there, but I, that's all I had to say unless you want to ask me anything else. Well, I'd, I'd like to hear if you have any additional thoughts on Arya. I thought you had some real good ones last night, but if anything else has come to mind. Um, I, I think I kind of exhausted myself on, on, on Arya, at least without sounding like a fanboy. But, yeah, that, that's my favorite stuff. And I, I think that the, the idea sort of mirrors uh, what's going on with Sansa, where we did see a strong scene with Sansa in the tub. We saw that. And then we saw it sort of stripped down, and now we don't know what Sansa we're going to get next week. I think up until this point, we've seen a cocky Arya. We've seen an Arya that was a proactive and, and ready to make something happen and, and create her own destiny. And the whipping scene, which, by the way, Matt, what if, what if just by law of averages they picked the child actor that turned out to be just a bad adult actor, but they didn't. Like, it's amazing how these kids have grown and their talent has grown as well because I was really in, just pulled in by that scene with Arya. She, I think she did an amazing Amazing acting job with that scene with the jockin. Yeah, I do too. I totally agree with you there. I, I, Macy Williams is going to be just a superstar for a long time, we can hope. Yeah, uh, I totally, totally agree. But uh, to finish the, the thought quickly, now we see her stripped down, and she, she's sort of exhausted too. She doesn't know where to go now at this point. She is, uh, is sort of giving herself over to someone else and, and letting them make the choices rather than her making the choices, which hasn't always turned out the best because – Arya's still very naive, and she can right. be as proactive as she wants. She can force her own plot as she wants, as many times as she wants. But I think a lot of her choices are, are kind of dumb kid choices. So I think that then we also see her being stripped down and, and maybe being rebuilt again. Yeah. And I, I, I love that thought. I, 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 I still worry for Arya because of that, <laughs> just because I, you know, uh, I like the Arya that made her own choices, and whether they were right or wrong and, and out of naivete, um, that was the feisty Arya that I fell in love with in the books and in the show. So, yeah, yeah. Um, where it leads to, we'll just have to see, right? Yeah, totally agree. I know, man. Well, dude, uh, do you want to stick around for the larger conversation? or? Yeah, I'll be on. Right on. Excellent. I appreciate it. And, Donald, thank you for coming on and uh, no and voicing your opinion. I appreciate it very much. You're welcome. Anytime. All right. And with that, uh, let's see. Who else do we have on here? We have uh, Maggie has called in, Hot Pie's dad, and then we have a caller from uh, uh, Canada, I guess. Um, so first we will go um, to Maggie, and then it will be Hot Pie's dad, and then to Canada. That might be Albert. Let's see here. And uh, this, at this point, at this point, we welcome back, or we welcome to, I guess for the first time, Maggie. Well, Matt, welcome. How are you? Hi, I'm doing 
Right on. Uh, well, how about uh, a rating for the episode from a scale of uh, on a scale of one to ten for me? Um, I I loved everything, including the kind of slapstick in Dorn, um, except that last scene. I'm gonna have to give it a six point five. Understood. Understood. Um, well, as also a female, I mean, if you want to talk about that scene, feel free. Um, I don't know if I am uh, the kind of person to talk to it about or, or, or about it because um, I certainly don't have any experience with rape or anything, and I don't feel qualified. I just know what really disturbed me. Um, but uh, what would you like to talk about in regards to this episode? Um, I think I'm gonna rip the bandaid off first and talk about Sansa, and then. Execution, failure of writing, what more so? Um, I I'm I think it's it's both. I think um they they brought back um the old Sansa, um and especially uh juxtaposed with the the bathing scene not too long before where she was um stripped and naked and strong and reminded us that she is in her home and she is not afraid. Um, but slip right back to um, the, the wedding night and the second Ramsey opened his mouth, Sansa was fumbling over herself and very soft-spoken and she was the, the old, unsure Sansa. And I thought that was um, very disappointing, uh, and I I wanted her to I I understand that there's no way a wedding night with Ramsey Bolton is going to play out pleasantly, um, but I wanted to see her play the game a little bit. I mean, when she rode into Winterfell and she gave that smile to Ruth and Ramsey. She was was playing the game. She's been doing that this whole time and learning and growing. Um, and then she just, um, they made her falter, and I was very disappointed. Okay, I understand that. Now, let me, uh, and this is really weird for me to have to do this, but let me try and play devil's advocate here. Um, and say, if the fact that she 
goes through this night and comes out on the other side and is still playing the game pretty well, um, will you be okay with that? I... I don't think I'll be okay with the scene, but I think I think it makes sense that she is going to to come out strong and continue to play the game, continue to play the game. Um, but I think this that this scene is an unnecessary departure from her growth. I think it's it's an abnormality. Um, but I, I, I expect her to, to continue, uh, being strong, Sansa. I see. Yeah. All right. Um, so you just feel like, uh, that do you, so are you saying that you feel like the writers made her weaker in that moment just to make that moment more powerful and only for that reason? Yeah, I do. I, I think it was, um, unnecessary to use. Uh, rape to make that um, to make that uh, to 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 make that point. Um, we saw her um, being uh, mistreated by Joffrey a whole bunch, um, mm-hmm. but it never got to that point. It, it, I mean, rape was never in that equation, um, but. It didn't need to be. We still got that point across that he was um, an abusive little monster um, and that she was hurting in those um, interactions. I don't think uh, rape needed to be used to make that point. I think... uh, I, I... I think uh, Theon's reaction was enough, and we didn't need to hear those sounds. I got you. I got you. I understand. I understand. Well, you ripped the Band-Aid off really well. I'll, I'll give you that. Um, how about um, how about you tell me something more positive about the episode, then? It's, it's um, just a, if for nothing else, and for both of us to alleviate our minds a little bit. Yeah, um... Quick mention, uh, I enjoyed the slapstick in Dorne. I think um, Jamie always gets the the most fertile couplings for sitcoms, um, him and Brienne and now him and Braun. I think I, I enjoyed it, but I can understand why some people would, would feel it was a little tiresome and sloppy. Um, but what I... Uh, really, really like was Arya's story, how it's progressing. Um, I know a lot of people are concerned that the more she, the deeper she gets into the House of Black and White and um, this whole um, the faceless men, that she's going to lose herself and lose her stark identity. I think that um, in a positive sense, I I want her to lose herself a bit in this, and I want her to lose her rage. I think for her to 
to be a, 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 to fully realize herself, I think she needs to let that go. Uh, because she can finish her list. Um, her rage has been uh, keeping her alive and keeping her going this far, but what's she going to do when she finishes her list? She's going to be directionless. Um, she's learning a new way to function and think now, and I'm I'm really excited about that. Excellent. All right. Well, uh, once again, let me just real quickly play devil's advocate and say, uh, Arya's crimes have either been accidental or for the most part, up until the end of season four, and I will give you that uh, her killing of Orge was pretty cold, um, and her leaving of the Hound was pretty cold. I will give you that. Um, But would you rather see an Arya that is capable of lying and sending a little girl to her death uh, as opposed to someone who is just killing crimes because of crimes of passion? I I want to see an Arya that thinks beyond herself. Up till this point, she's been very focused on her wants and her needs. Mm. And I I really like the scene with the little girl because um, people have mentioned you know the game of faces is um, you know telling a better lie or believing the lies. I think it's about um, lying, not necessarily lying, but being something and someone that is not for yourself. Acting and speaking in a way that is not self-serving. Because when she was with that little girl, she was, I don't think she was thinking about herself and how she could spin this to her advantage. I think she was um, completely immersed in helping that little girl to find peace and comfort. And that was that was why she constructed the lie she did. That was not to, you know, try to win the game of faces or manipulate people to get what she wanted. It was in that moment to help this one other human being. You still there? Yeah. Okay, your audio dropped out a little bit on me, but it, oh. that's okay. I, I can fix it in the mix. Uh, let's see. Uh, but I, I get your point. I get your point about Arya, and I, I appreciate that. Let me ask you one more question about Braun, since you like him. Are you worried for him because he got that cut from the from the sand snake? Uh, now I am. I didn't <laughs> I didn't think anything of it till I started um, listening tonight, and then you mentioned um, the poisons, and now I'm I'm really worried. He's such a wonderfully sassy character. Yes, I love Braun too. And his, his singing of the Dornishman's Wife was absolutely excellent. I love that. Um, great song from the books. All right. Uh, Maggie, I, I've got some other callers here. Would you like to stick around for the larger conversation? I'd love to. 
All right. Well, thank you so much for calling in. Very much appreciate it. We'll uh, talk to you again in a little bit. Uh, next, we are going to go to Hot Pie's dad. Uh, hi. How, who are we talking to here? Hi, I'm Jake. Hi, Jake. Thanks for calling in. Uh, how about an episode rating on a scale of 1 to 10 for this particular episode? Uh, I think I'd probably give it a solid 7 out of 10. All right, fair enough. Uh, and what would you like to talk about? Um, I guess I'll touch on Santa's situation first. Um, get okay. it out of the way. Um, I too thought about Danny's situation in season one when considering that today, and you know, the differences and the the um, similarities in the two situations. Where Danny's was definitely more intense and graphic and more rapey, I suppose, but you know, we kind of not got over it, but, I mean, Cal is definitely a more well-liked character than Ramsey at this point. Um, and I, I kind of joined late, so I didn't hear all of the discussion about that and those comparisons. But um, other than that, um, I feel, I just watched the scene again, literally as the last caller was talking with the closed captioning on, and I feel like Stance is still playing the game. Um, and she did cry out when that scene was happening, as anybody would. But I don't... I think that she's still playing the game. Um, I guess that's really all I have to say about that specifically. And I agreed with... Um, I think Donald was talking about it, about Theon in those scenes. I think his part in those scenes is very, very important because in the book, I don't want to get too bookish, but right. his part in those scenes is obviously, in the book, is crucial because he's a POV character. He's the only one we really know in those scenes with Jane Poole, and um, I feel like there was a scene right before the wedding. Um, obviously, we all saw it, but I haven't really heard it brought up either tonight or last night in the initial reaction show, where mm-hmm. Dion tells her that she needs to take his arm or, you know, Ramsey will hurt him. And Sansa says to him, do you think I care what he does to you? And I think Theon, in the scene at the end of the episode, I think he seems kind of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, torn between, you know, Sansa said that to him, you know, and we know Theon's probably a better person now than he was before. But he's been through so much, and for Sansa to say that to him and then get, you know, what she got at the end of the episode, do you think he's kind of, like, torn between helping her and letting Ramsey do whatever he did in that bed because of what she said? Well, um, let, let me just turn the question around on you. If you were Theon in that moment in the bedroom, what would you have done? Okay, I'll say this. I feel like this end of the episode is very similar to episode one of this season where we had this really intense scene that was hard to watch. You know, we had a man burning alive and we were kind of like watching this and waiting for something to happen and John stuck him with an arrow and ended it. You know, it seemed like at the end of this episode I was just waiting for, like, as been talked about, Santa Santa just pull out a dagger and stick it right in his throat, which would be the most awesome thing ever if they started that out next episode. Um, but I feel like 
we were all waiting for that to happen, or Dion just snapped and strangled the hell out of, San, of Ramsey. Um, I feel like I guess that's what I would have done. They were all alone, um, but and I don't really think Dion cares much about his life at this point. He just cares about escaping and maybe helping someone else. And I guess if I was Dion, I would, like I said, strangle the hell out of Ramsey's neck until he wasn't moving anymore. Right. Well, and let me ask you, this is a TV show watcher. Um, let's say that Theon does nothing at this point, but does something later to either help Sansa or hurt Ramsay or, or whatever. Um, is it too little too late, in your opinion? Um, you mean to help, too little too late to help Sansa or too little too late to like redeem Theon's character? Well, to make amends for what he was witnessing being done to Sansa, first off. Oh, I think it wouldn't be too little too late at all. Like, I think like what Donald mentioned, um, again, not to be an apologist for, you know, what Ramsey was doing, but it, I mean, like I said, Sansa cried out, but it didn't seem like it was anything out of, you know, what could be expected from the first night of any marriage. I mean, we might see more in the next episode, but and the force in the book, I don't, again, I don't want to get too bookish, but it's more intense in the book. Of course, it's a different character, but I think that, like I said, if Santa is playing the game, I think eventually she'll try to get Dion to help her. Um, and okay. I, I think he'll be, I don't think it would be too little too late for him to help. Unless, gotcha. she got her preg- unless she got her pregnant, which would be a very interesting twist for the, the season from now on. That it would. That it would. Uh, you'd have to see how that went out. Um, all right. Well, that's uh, interesting stuff. Uh, what else on the episode? Whew. There's so much about Sansa. I'm so glad to not talk about that anymore. But I guess next little thing that I'll talk about a little bit. Um, I feel like this season, um, again, I don't want to get too bookish. I won't mention the book. How about that? Um, I feel like this season is leading towards the battle at Winterfell being the climax with what with um Littlefinger's discussion with Cersei. Um I think that Littlefinger is probably does not care about Sansa at this point. He, he said that uh-huh. don't you care know how much I care about you? I think that's total BS. I think that he's again, he's all about himself. If he can get Sansa, you know, the spitting image of the woman that he used to love and that would be a great plus for him, but I think at this point he just cares all about himself now. And, oh, man, I cannot believe he did that. That was just really shocking to me. I got you. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I found his immediate betrayal of Sansa to be either to just totally get himself back in the good graces of Cersei real quick so he can do whatever his real plan is there, um, or to, I don't know, uh, or, or, or the other option is, is what you said, that he just doesn't care about her at all. Um, I, I, I would like to, th- I would actually, because I am not a big liker of Littlefinger in the first place, I would like to think that Sansa is Littlefinger's weakness and that that could be used against him at some point in the future. But if, if he doesn't care about her any at all, um, then obviously then that would dash my hopes. 
I don't. I'm gonna. Say, I'm gonna say that's not the case. Just, just from what I've seen, I don't think that's the case at this point. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Anything else? Uh, yeah. Um, I guess I'll touch on the Saint Snakes. I really, really dislike it at this point. Um, as a book reader, I don't care that it's different from the book, but I think what they what was in the book was awesome and was really complex and a lot of twists and turns. At this point, it doesn't seem like they're going to do that. And so, obviously, I'd like something to be better. So, I don't think what they're doing in the show is very good now. They've kind of not developed the sand snakes at all. And unless they... I mean, I don't know if they really want us to care about the sand snakes at this point. It's not been too clear like the way they've written the episode. Like, are they making them, trying to make them primary characters, or are they just, you know, there to move the plot along for Marcella or Valeria or Doran or Jamie or Braun or someone else? Um, I really hope I'm wrong and they, it is good, but I felt like the fight scene was, I really disliked it a lot. I felt like it uses some of those elements of fight scenes in movies today that I hate. It was very quick and cutty and you couldn't really tell what was going on and I didn't like the choreography. I thought it was quite lame, to be honest, in the way that whole thing ended, but I thought it was just lame. And I, uh, I, I have to say... I'm seeing a face moment because I'm just kind of upset about how that's going. I have to say that uh, I, I agree with your assessment of the fight itself. Uh, one of my favorite comments from the blog today, uh, as I read through the comments on the blog, uh, they called the fight Shatner-esque, and I thought that was a perfect way to describe it. Uh, I thought that was really funny and apropos. Um, and I, I, you know, uh, I will say also, as a book reader myself, that I adore um, the Dorn Stark uh, storyline and the Martell family in general. Um, oh, yeah. And I, I'm hoping that there's still enough season left to, to, to salvage some of that. But I was not all that impressed with what I saw this week either. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I don't care about changes at all. Uh, it's good. It's good. But I just feel like they're, what they're doing now is not as good as, as what was in the book. Yeah. I would agree with that. I would agree with that. Uh, well, Jake, uh, thank you very much. I still have... Uh, oh, maybe not. Maybe I don't. I guess he hung up. Albert. Um, so uh, what we'll do is, if you want to stick around for the larger conversation here, we'll unmute everybody, and we will get to uh, talking about some subjects in regards to uh, anything anybody wants to bring up. And uh, we've got... Let's see, how many callers we get on line? One two, three, or five callers on the line right now. So what I'll do is I will call one person, and then I'll call other people to respond to that person's question. I want you to think about a question that you have about the episode that you want everybody else to respond to. And we will start with Gary. Gary, do you have a question for the panel? I do, but um, I'd I'd like to settle something really quickly. Um, it was the doctor. Um, I didn't say that as a man I don't have an opinion about the rape scene. I said that as a man who knows that there are women who will follow me to follow me speaking, I didn't think it was correct for me to 
frame the conversation from my perspective and what allow them to do so. Um, and I've never insulted anyone on this podcast ever, and that you that you took that statement and called me ignorant was a little bit offensive, and I'm and I don't think it was right. Now, moving on to an, to an actual point of the conversation, to an actual point of, of the show. Um, what did everyone think about? How Jorah, how Jorah found out about his father, because I think I think it was cool that Tyrion, Tyrion told him. I'm not exactly sure how Tyrion would have known, but um, I think that there were some layers of of writing in this episode, and I think as much as I like that scene, why and how Tyrion would have known about um, his father at the wall who died at Crouch's Keep, why, why he would know that information is a little bit beyond me. Can, can I answer that question for you real quick, Gary? Sure. Tyrion was in King's Landing at the same time that Sam got back to the wall. Sam got back to the wall, told Maester Aemon what happened. Maester Aemon sent ravens out all over the realm asking for men. Uh, I think it's pretty clear that the information was relayed at that time. Yeah, but, but nobody paid attention to the, to the, no one except for Stannis paid any attention to those ravens that that, that came up asking for wall, asking for um, men at the wall because of White Walkers or whatever. Well, we we'd seen ravens from the wall be dismissed before in the council, but that doesn't mean that somebody like Tyrion wouldn't take note. Okay, I might I might concede that, but you know it's it's still a little it's still a little bit you know. Well, I'll, concede, can, I'll concede it. I'm not I'm not gonna argue. I'm not gonna fight. I'm not gonna die on that hill. Yeah, <laughs> I don't I don't want to either. If you want to put it up for the question, feel free. We're only gonna get one at a time though. Nope. Oh, what? Well, the rest of the question still stands. What did everyone think about the um, about the scene of Jorah and um, Tyrion and how he, and how he um. How we found out about his how we found out about his dad. Uh, excellent. Uh, let's go to you first, Kelly. Uh, thoughts on uh, Jorah finding out about his father about Jor? Yeah, we we talked about it a little bit. I think it, to go more into just the the um, how it happened. Yeah, I think there's a little bit of plot raven action that we have to just accept a little bit of the same way that the plot, the show skips the traveling scenes. It's just, when the character knows something or is somewhere, it's easier to just fill it in and how think about how the writers did it in their own mind rather than say, but how and why, you know what I mean? Like, just go with it. <laughs> you know, say, how could it have happened? Not, that couldn't have happened. You'll be much happier with the show. <laughs> I promise. Don't get us frustrated if you just say we try to take it as a challenge. <laughs> um, yeah. So yeah, I, I, yeah. So that it was interesting. It was very touching to see Tyrion. It was kind of like that very first um, season when you saw Tyrion feel bad um, when he did offend somebody. Oh, I've offended you. I'm sorry. Like he says it right away. He almost 
heartbreakingly sincere when he says it. You know, he's got no pride. He's totally um, genuine when he apologizes like that. I think it was to um, to John. He said, I offended you. Sorry. <laughs> it was that yeah. exact same Tyrion from that, that episode. I kind of, I, I, I liked that. So that's my uh, thought on it. All right. Excellent. And Gary, let me just, I'm, I'm just going to let you know right now, uh, I've got you muted because there was, a tremendous amount of background noise coming from your phone, uh, which makes everybody else's call sound bad. So that's why I have you muted. I'll unmute you again uh, when it's your next turn to respond. Uh, let's go to you, Donald. Any thoughts about uh, Jorah and uh, Tyrion and, and Jorah finding out about his dad? Yeah, uh, just respond to what Gary said first, because it was directed at me. Okay. Uh, yeah. I was just letting him know that uh, that that comment wasn't directed at you. Uh, what what you said before before you um, declined to speak on the matter wasn't really clear to me. Uh, you, I, I think it was intentional. It wasn't clear. You just said that you weren't saying something because you were a guy or something like that. Uh, the the particular comment about the people being ignorant was, uh, as I mentioned in the in the in the same comment, was that uh, the few tweets that I had gotten. But yeah, Gary, uh, I love his, his stuff. He always is on this episode, always on this podcast, and he says great stuff. But yeah, I would never, I never call anyone ignorant. I think that people can have ignorant ideas. I'm, I have plenty of them. Ignorance isn't necessarily a, a um, insult to me. It just, just means you're, you just don't understand a particular thing, or just a lack of understanding. And I have plenty of that, as you know, Matt. But um, yeah. to, to answer your question, I, I enjoyed the scene itself. I did have the same problem that he had. I was wondering how. How would he know that stuff? But I also have uh, the same problems with uh, Ariel Hota and how he would know that that was Jamie. But what what I've learned about the show is that a lot of things happen off camera. There's also a scene with with Eamon where he was getting uh, the, this info that Sam was telling him about Daenerys. So what I, what I've come to understand about the show is that there's just ravens all over the place, and they're just telling everybody, just gossip ravens that we just don't know about. Uh, and they're just letting people know all this information. Because even Arya, how would she know that Tywin had died? Uh, there's, there's stuff that happens off screen that I think that for the show to work, we just kind of have to say, yeah, I accept that. But uh, it did give me problems, too. And I, I like your explanation, Matt. And I think that that's probably the most logical thing. All right. Thanks. Uh, how did you receive re- I know we just kind of briefly touched on it last night, but... Uh, did did you feel anything for Jorah? I thought Ian Glenn really knocked that out of the park with his acting. He he did, and as a book reader, when Mormont died, I, I think we were all we all kind of expressed our our regret that there was no scene to to remind us as, as show watchers that hey they're related, and there was no there was just nothing there. So I think that even though this came a little late, I did appreciate it, and I thought yeah Ian Glenn did a great job. He's a great actor, and I'm really looking forward to him getting wedging himself back into the, the main storyline. Excellent. Yeah, me too. Uh, Maggie, let's go with, to you with any thoughts on Jorah or, uh, and, and his information dump that he got from Tyrion or Jorah and Tyrion. Um, I, I really liked it. I think there was some uh, very strong, subtle uh, acting going on. I, it was completely believable and heartbreaking. Um, I think the news is something that is um, breaking Jorah out of his um, just doing things without thinking 
Tyrion um, brought that up. Uh, Jordan knows he has gray skin now, and um, the news of the death of his father, I think um, there's definitely some um, big uh, realizations of mortality going on in Jorah's part, so I think he's he's going to start acting uh, more deliberately uh, and carefully now, or at least I hope so. All right. Excellent. And uh, Jake, you get the last word on uh, Jorah and Tyrion, at least as far as this question goes. Okay. Um, I feel like it's very, very touching because this might just be in my head, but have we, did we not see a scene with um, um, Jor, the old bear, where he expressed some regret about Jorah and wasn't Longclaw originally supposed to be Jorah's? So I feel like it's really touching that, um, or I guess the opposite of touching, that Jorah will never get the chance to redeem himself to his father again. Yeah. Yeah, that's going to be a tough on the poor guy. Poor old friend's own Jorah. I feel so bad for Jorah. I really do. Uh, let's go to uh, let's go to Kelly. And Kelly, if you have a question for the panel, now is the time. I I actually don't. Sorry. <laughs> you don't have a question. You just no, want to answer. I, yeah, I like hearing everybody else's questions. Sorry, I'm looking at the chat and I'm talking a lot there. Sorry. Oh, that's okay. All right. Well, then let's go. Donald, the floor is yours, brother. You got a question for the panel. Uh, okay. Uh, how do you guys, what do you guys think, uh, what do you think is next for, for the Jamie and Braun storyline? Because I think a lot of people have expressed their distaste for it, if that's the word I could use. But to me, all the Dorn stuff is just very cheesy, and it's, it's, it, it feels so disconnected from Game of Thrones, it, it, in a way, it's sort of bringing me down, and I don't feel like the stakes are as high as they normally are for Game of Thrones. It just feels like this is some kind of just cheesy Power Rangers type of plot, and I feel like no one's in real danger. Uh, you mentioned that Braun got cut. I'm like, yeah, he'll probably just heal and won't even mention it again. But compared to other scenes, especially like like stuff in the um, the first two or three seasons, I felt like this was a show where everything was high stakes. Anyone could die. With this Jamie stuff, it just feels too bloody top to me. So I'm wondering about it. Conveniently, everyone was in the courtyard at the same time. They all got captured. The plan seems to be over with. They, it, it just seems like there's nowhere I can go from here. I guess just throw out some theories or even just like just fan fiction. What do you think is next for, day, for Jamie and, and Braun? Excellent question. Let's go to you, Maggie. Um, I... Huh. It it was I like um whoever on the blog said Shatnask, I think. Um I like that. Uh but I actually I was a little bit on the edge of my seat during the the fight because uh I I liked all the characters involved. I wanted to see more of the sand snakes and I really liked the dynamic between um Jamie and Braun, but uh I have no idea what they're going to do now. It seems, it, it, it almost seems like uh, two little rival factions of kids got fought bickering at recess. I mean, both of, both plans just kind of crumbled, um, and uh, now they're all in trouble. Uh, 
someone's going to have to do a jailbreak or gaming's going to have to bribe someone, but I I don't know what's going to happen. Hopefully something. It doesn't seem like to me, uh, and Jake, I'll go to you right after this, it doesn't seem like to me that neither Jamie and Bron nor the the Sand Snake Clan and Alaria uh, are going to be in very good standing with Doran, uh, especially if I, I, I'm assuming that it would be pretty easy for, for uh, Doran to ascertain why Jamie was there in the first place. Um, so I can't, I can't see him being very friendly with I, with anybody. Um, so I think it's a matter of just waiting and seeing. Maybe uh, this is a chance to see how good of a politician Jamie can be as opposed to, you know, since he doesn't have much fighting skills, uh, evidently, although he held off a, sand, a couple of sand snakes for a little while, left-handed, no less. I guess Braun's been teaching him well. Uh, Jake, let's go to you. I think the last word she said um, summed it up pretty quick. She said, I don't know what's going to happen, hopefully something. Me too, because I'm just I'm so kind of burnt out about it. I don't really... I, I mean, it can go anywhere, which makes it exciting, but I was very excited for that scene um, based on what was in the book, and it disappointed the hell out of me. Um, I think maybe a good death would uh, would spice things up down there. A death of ah. a character. Ah. Which character? <laughs> um, hmm. I think I think sending Braun there makes Braun doomed. For the uh-huh. showrunners to put him there just makes him doomed from the get go. Um, but I don't think that would be big enough. I'm not sure who though. Wow. All right. All right. Uh, well, then now let's go to Gary. Uh, Gary, your thoughts on the Dorn stuff and where you think Jamie and Braun are headed to next. I don't think Jamie and Braun are going anywhere. Um, <laughs> Jamie's going somewhere. I, I think they've totally redshirted Braun. Um, and if, if you think back to a couple a couple episodes when they were when they were traveling, um, Braun said Braun said when Jamie said that you know that they were going that the plan was for them to sneak in the dorm, Braun kind of gave a bit of foreshadowing that. Jamie Lannister can't sneak around anywhere because he's like one of the most famous people in the in the um in Westeros. So I I think that you know that 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 whole scene was kind of with Arya Hotha was kind of payoff for for Braun saying, yeah, you sneaking around, you sneaking into anywhere is not gonna work. Um, but as far as where where they're going with the story next? I think that they I think that Jamie is probably on his way back to Westeros with the Sand Snakes because I think kind of excuse me not Westeros but um back to King's Landing with the with the Sand Snakes because there's nothing for them to do in Dorne. It's on. It's just kind of like wasting screen time, and they've set up. They they've done such a horrible job setting up the setting up the sand snakes in Dorne that they've got to they've got to move this story along because it's just it's dying on the vine. It's a it's like like I said before it's a hot mess. 
Yeah, no. huh? I get you. I hear you. Uh, Kelly, your thoughts about Jamie and Braun and, and the Dorn stuff? Yeah, we, um, we've had this buildup with this uh, Doran character that we haven't had much payoff for yet. He's um, kind of foreboding and ominous, always talking, and he seems to have uh, patience and a plan. And I feel like there's going to be a scene where he sits down with Jamie and they work something out. There's some sort of scheming, something comes up. He's more of a, a slow burn character, I would think, than maybe that'll temper Jamie's you know, hot-headed action character, and they'll come up with something. Um, I think he's, Doran sounds really reasonable, and I think there might be some something more. I really, like you said, salvage. Like, I really want them to salvage what's going on here. It's, they had a lot of potential with this, and um, it's been a little flat so far. And, yeah, I think they can really make something out of um, all of these characters there now. It's kind of a, I might call it a snake pit. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. She but, went there, no. ladies and gentlemen. She went there. That's funny. So no, but they might make it um into something. They may make something out of that. They've got a lot of elements there that can be really interesting. Like this potential for these women to be so amazing and fighters and the um the spirit of um over and in them and, and I want to see them in action in something in a direction that's not just out of hate or something. You know, and I feel like Doran could could hone all of them and utilize all of them. He's kind of he seems to sit above everything and watch and and plan and think. And so I think he's going to give each of these characters direction and put their passion into and utilize it. So I, yeah, I think that'll be um, what we'll see next. Instead of just planless action, they'll start to be planned action. Hopefully. All right. Very good. Uh, I'm going to quickly, I'm going to go back to Gary because I didn't really give you a chance to give your thought on the whole Jorah thing because uh, all you did was ask the question and then I cut you off. What did you think about the Jorah Tyrion stuff? I think, um, I think it was Jake who said it, that, um, that it's about, well, first of all, we never get, they don't really do sentimental, they really do sentimental on this show and I think it was really sweet and sentimental the reaction that that Jorah had about his father passing away. And Jake brought it up that that it was the um that he would never that he would never get re- that he would never get redemption in his father's eyes. And I think that might have been I think that's part of what's been driving Jorah that the thing part of his his spine for Varys was so that he could be redeemed in Westeros and therefore go back go back home. And then when he realized that Daenerys when he when he believed that Daenerys was the answer to Westeros and he could go back and he could go back to he could go back to Westeros as a as a power player, I think that was part of the thing that was driving him as well. You know, he could come home and be and show his father that he didn't that he'd done good, you know what I mean? Right. That he like all the all the mistakes that he all the mistakes he made as a young man, all those things helped to create this powerful individual. And now he's never gonna have that opportunity. And I think that's really sad as far as George is concerned. And I think it's gonna be a great motivator for him in the future as 
Kelly brought up that now with him having grayscale and with his and with his father and now he doesn't have his father to go home and impress. I think that his his future steps will he'll he he has he has a bit of mortality. He has the idea of his own mortality with him, so that's gonna cha- that's gonna change his perspective. Hmm. Huh? Very good. And Donald, uh, we never got your actual. I mean, I know you asked a question about Jamie and Braun. Do you have any particular fan fiction thought yourself about what might happen? <laughs> well, well, uh, I think I want somebody to die, and they may sound a little cheap. Yeah. But I, I feel like it's still too cartoony, and, there's, and the only way to fix that is to raise the stakes. And um, I was really, I got kind of scared for one second when they put the axe on Jamie's neck, and I was like, whoa, they're just going to do it right here and there, but he didn't do it, so it was a little too... Like, I know you watch uh, watch those shows, like, on the CW or, or like, right. the little kiddie, the kiddie shows where they have this big buildup where, oh, this main character is going to die, and then at the last minute somebody says, no, I'll keep you around for a few more episodes. That's just what it came up to me. It felt a little cheap. So I need somebody to die. I need the stakes to be raised. I need it to feel more real like the last season of, of Game of Thrones have felt. Excellent. Well, let me ask you this, then, Donald. Uh, would Braun be satisfactory enough for you? Yeah, because I, I love him. Like, he, he's awesome. And what, what would that mean for Jamie? I, I'm not sure it would carry over too, too long, but it, temporarily it would definitely mean something for Jamie. And it would mean something for the audience, which is a little bit more important. I think that Ryan's a really likable character. Right on. Very good. Very good. Uh, next up is Maggie. Maggie, you can pose a question to the panel. Uh, yeah. Uh, what do you think is going to happen with Littlefinger and Littlefinger and Sansa? What do you think her... How do you think she will receive him when he goes back to York? All right, uh, Jake, let's go to you. You and I kind of talked about Littlefinger and how you feel like he doesn't really care about Sansa now, but um, do you see a long-term plan for him right now? Hmm. Uh, I'm going to... I think maybe he won't go back north at all. He'll go back to the Vale and hang out and wait for, like he said, for the Boltons and Stannis to beat each other up until... Um, Cersei has need of him again. Um, that's kind of my guess based on the assumption I made about Littlefinger's motives earlier. Um, I guess, you know, entertainment-wise and based on what I think the show will probably do, because I'm probably wrong, um, because the show surprises me all the time, I think he probably will have go north again and probably have more scenes with Sansa just because it would be interesting television. Um, how will Sansa, you know, react to him? Like I said, I'm talking about Sansa, not that I want to get too much into that again, because we've beaten that too much. Um, I feel like, like I said, if Sansa is playing the game, maybe it won't be too negative. I don't know. I guess I'm just saying I don't know. Yeah, well, I, it's, it's always hard to guess Littlefinger, that's for sure. Gary, you got to guess about what Littlefinger's up to and how Sansa might still be involved, if at all? Um, sort of, but not really. Um, it's the way that I see the way that I see him going. The reason that I 
see him going to um to Cersei and telling her about about him knowing where Sansa was was just in case a raven got back to her. That way he that way it takes the it takes her it it puts them on the same footing so that so that he can well actually puts them above her in intelligence about what's going on in the north and what what that he knew this information and so he brought it back to her. Um and it almost it, it kind of disarms her. Um, so that she can't turn so so she can't turn around and say, Well, I know where Sansa Stark is, how come you don't know? Or if you knew this, why didn't you tell me? As far as what his plan is for Sansa at this point, I can't really think of like the only thing I can think of is that he's planning on Stannis winning. And that really doesn't mean anything as far as as far as being warden of the north he doesn't could if Stannis wins he's gonna he's gonna run Cersei and all her people out of there and the only thing that he'll have as far as as far as control is concerned is that Sansa will be there but I don't see how that does him does him any you know, particular favors, especially after Sansa experienced what she what she had to experience in this episode. Because how you know after after he left her with with Ramsay, um, how is Sansa going to really trust Littlefinger as a point of information and protection? Gotcha. Yeah, that's a good question to ask. Uh, Kelly, do you, do you foresee what Littlefinger's up to? There's some curious um, developments with um, Lady Olenna being back in King's Landing that I think would will come into play. He left King's Landing with them being his friends, the the flowers he was talking about. And so I think there was... Maybe he's going to have, you know, dual purpose, his return. It seems like he did provide Oliver to Cersei to testify against the um, Tyrell and help with her plans to make trouble with them. So it's hard to say um, whose team he's really playing on. He can be behind the scenes in all of these realms and on all of these um, plots. And he seems to always have this fine art of saying enough to sound like he's on your side, but he never really outright says the whole story. So it's um, it's hard to tell what his motivations are. I really believe that he um, loves or at least has an infatuation obsession with Sansa, at least in the way he's projecting his love for um, Catelyn onto her. And I think that's a deep-seated thing from his childhood that I think is a, a, a true in-character, like, in bold, you know, that's his part of his character. So I I have I have a hard time thinking that he's going to do anything intentionally to betray her. I don't think he knew that Ramsay was as um evil as he is. I don't think he knew what he was leaving her in the hands of, um, to the extent that he did. So I feel like he might um be setting up more chess pieces in order to give her what he 
is trying to get out of her as well, which is the North. And, yeah, I think he's going to help Cersei, you know, tie the noose around her own neck and give her just as much, um, what is it, slack to hang herself? Yeah. So, mm. yeah, I think he, well, that's, that's my anticipation. You see, that's what I love about Littlefinger, too. You know, his famous words, chaos is a ladder. And what better way to create chaos by using Oliver to get on Cersei's good side and then using everything else uh, to bring Cersei down. That's the kind of chaos that you want to see Littlefinger create, right? Uh, and he's always behind the curtain, too, because now Cersei and Elena are going to be fighting, but Elena doesn't necessarily know that he provided Cersei with the ammunition to fire on the Tyrells, so he's putting them against each other, and he's playing both sides behind the scenes, with the Tyrells at least, mm-hmm. and overtly with, with Cersei. So, yeah, he's masterful and, and <laughs> very interesting, and I'm hoping he will add more um, uh, plot twists to King's Landing. Right on. Very good. All right, Donald, uh, what do you think about Littlefinger? What's he up to? Well, like, like she said, I would like to believe that in a perfect world, Littlefinger did have something in, in his heart for Sansa, whether it's real love, uh, admiration, just a, a respect for his love for Cat, anything like that. But at the same time, if he's totally just pushing her under the bus, it's not like I'll wake up in a cold sweat in the middle of the night and say, oh, I'm so surprised, because I wouldn't be. So uh-huh. I, I think he's, he's playing both sides. I think that's sort of a safe assumption. Uh, it's sort of a smart, a smart move, actually, whether you believe it's good or not. I think he's playing both sides. So whatever happens, he'll somehow come out on top, uh, which is brilliant, actually. But I, I, it's hard to say what he's thinking. In the in the books, you don't know what he's thinking. In the show, you see him do things that you still don't know what he's thinking. And right. I think that's just the brilliance of the character in a way. So it just gotcha. just my gut instinct is that he does have some kind of contention plan for Sansa to get her out of there, if nothing else, just because she's still a tool. And we've seen that throughout the series, that Sansa is important because of who she is, not because of what she does. Because I still don't think she does much for herself. It's more of like, what can she do for other people? Excellent. All right. Uh, Maggie, you get the last word on your own question. What do you think is going to happen? I think that uh, Littlefinger, like everyone said, Littlefinger is kind of playing both sides, but I think his his hope is that he is going to um, double-cross Cersei, and when he gets uh, his men up north, that he's going to aid Stannis um, in ousting the Boltons. But I, I don't think that Sansa is going to uh, welcome Littlefinger back at all. I think, or my hope is that uh, Stannis will back her um, because she is a Stark and she's in the North, that he'll kind of transfer his plans for Jon Snow uh, to Sansa um, and that she will also have the backing of the northern people, and I, I hope that she puts up this this wall of support that she's gathered um, against Littlefinger or 
something to uh, kind of get out from from his net. All right. All right. Uh, let's go to Jake and uh, your question for the panel, and it'll be the last question. All right. Um, I guess I just have want to bring up Aria again because Donald. I don't think there's too much thing about no such thing about too much fan going about Aria because I think she's awesome and I think what they're doing with her in the show is awesome. I think her scene with the with the dying girl was really touching. I don't really understand why the guy who brought the dying girl to the House of Black and White spoke the common tongue without any accent at all. Did she bring her all, he bring her all the way from Westeros um, just to get the gift of death? And you guys were talking a lot about Arya in the um, initial reaction podcast, and I really loved the discussion. I just want to open it up to the group here about Jack and Tagar's language, the way he said, um, she, a girl's not ready to be no one, but maybe she's ready to be someone else. What do we think that he means by that, and what is the difference? Because I'm not really sure. All right, excellent. Uh, good questions to ask, and uh, we'll start with Gary. Sometimes it's tough being first. Um <laughs> What I think he meant about the about the language was that she's learnt that she's learning how to play the role of someone else, but she's but she's not ready to be no one. I think that he meant that it's in fits and starts. She's you know that if she can she can play somebody. I hate I hate using these terms when we're talking about actors acting, but she can play somebody who's kind of sort of related to her, that, you know, that that is not, it's like she couldn't be an old man. She couldn't, she couldn't play the part of an old man. And an old man couldn't have, couldn't have comforted that girl and got her to, Got her to accept the, to accept the gift, but that she was talking to another girl, her age, uh, well around around the same age, you know, another young person. Um, that she that she can she can interact with she can interact in that environment, with something that's based on something that she knows, whereas a person who can be no one, can be no one just a face in the crowd just. You know, somebody who disappears into the role that she's playing. I don't think he. I don't think he believes that Arya's ready to be that person yet. But I think that he. I think that he recognizes that she's. That she's on her way down the. She's on her way. Gotcha. Right on. So she's not. In other words, what you're saying is, she can't totally let go of herself yet, but she might be able to pull off. Acting like someone else. Acting like something, something that she has a reference to. That right. If, okay. Yeah. All right. If you were act, if she was acting like someone, someone that she, like um, like a perfect example is that um, when she got to the house of black and white, that it was an old black man, that 
that came to their door. And we believed that it was an old black man. And then he did the, the thing, and he became Jack and Hagar. Right. And we believe that it's Jack and Hagar. It might actually be the old man, the old black man, using a face that she recognizes and playing the role of Jack and Hagar, or it might have been Jack and Hagar playing the role of the old black man. We don't really know. Yeah. And did, did you, Gary, did you by chance, I, I heard this on the Joffrey podcast. I did not see it myself. I didn't look on my, on my second watch. But they said that they thought they saw the face of that man uh, amidst all those faces in the, in the face cave. Okay, I'm going to admit to I'm going to admit to something on on international on the international podcast. I have a old twenty inch CRT television. <laughs> Got you. <laughs> so I don't know. Yeah, right on. Hey, that's fair enough, man. I, I'm watching stuff on old on old TV sometimes too. I totally get that. I totally get that. I mean, like I said, I didn't even see it when I watched it the second. Well, I might have, I might have seen it the second time, but I, I didn't make note of it. And then I heard the Joffrey podcast, and they said it was definitely there. So blame Bubba, who's no longer in the chat room. Darn it! I wanted to blame Bubba for something. He'll just have to hear me blame him in the podcast. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, if it's there or if it's not there, either way, I get your point. It's that Jack and Hagar has the ability to play anybody whereas you feel Arya needs a point of reference. Let's go to Kelly uh, for your thoughts about Jake's question. About, uh, sorry, I, I had the episode on, and I was like, oh, I want to see if you can see the, this guy's mask, so now I'm watching it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I will report back if I do. <laughs> um, I like the, the, the way that they are very slowly in, in increments getting Arya into this um, society, if you want to call it. they, um, And I feel like the, the level that Jacken is at, or this character, whether he's Jacken or no one, um, the level that he's at is what I would say is like the, at least higher than um, this level that he's introducing Arya to, which is someone else. So maybe there's this other level that he, she is ready for that she demonstrated when she um, lied to this young girl for, and, you know, it was very sweet, a very Aria thing that when she needed to, she did show this ability, you know, when it, when it mattered and to someone else, she's very, um, I don't know, it's not a very sweet girl, but you know what I mean? Like she's, we all love her and we love her for, for her ways. And this is one way that we, that she's shown to be caring and, and did reach in and maybe act more like, be in the game of faces that she was trying to before with this guy. And, yeah, I actually do believe that he might have come from Westeros. He might have brought his daughter all. He spent every penny he had, he said. Um, I don't know if he said maesters, though. And I would think if he was from Westeros, he said he would have taken her to every maester. And I think he said healer. Not sure if that makes a difference. But um, anyway, yeah, so he, um, yeah, so she, she did demonstrate that she was ready for maybe the next level, the next um, training that she needs to receive from these faceless men in a way that they can use her. You know, they're not, it's kind of been really frustrating to watch them up to this point because they haven't really, we're in the same Aria position and I love her, her, her scenes for this reason is that we are 
just as frustrated as she is to like know more, like tell us more. You're right there. Just tell us more. Um, and they gradually are give, giving her more when they find that she's ready and maybe she's just ready for this next level that's not as advanced as becoming no one. But without putting, getting into a role where she can just pretend to be someone else is sounds like like acting, like maybe um, putting that skill to use, using her for more than just scrubbing floors at this point. She has demonstrated um, that she's proactiveness and, you know, no one else was around. She did what a server, a server of the um, House of Black and White would do. And, yeah, I think that that's just the next level. I think there will be more if she maybe masters this. But it's definitely a big jump from scrubbing floors and washing bodies. <laughs> Gotcha. All right. Uh, Donald, I know this is a point of fascination for you, sir. What are your thoughts on this? Uh, yeah. Well, well, I think I can't say too much because I think, Matt, in the, in the BR section, you kind of explained to me, and, and I, I kind of agree with what you said. But uh-huh. I, can't give my, I can give my original thought. Uh, what sure. I thought was that it was, that it was time for, for her to pick a, a face and see what she can do because I think uh, judging from what's happened in the show, it, it's not just as simple as putting on a rubber mask because we, we've seen Jockin change before, and he doesn't just change it. I mean, his voice changes. His personality changes. But it's more than just sticking on a mask and going making a, a, a different voice. So I, I think it's sort of – I thought it was, like it was sort of a training uh, sort of experience, and, and, and what I was hoping for or what, what we might still see is that Arya would just – I guess kind of just be recasted as a different person and it'll just be like uh, a really, maybe a little bit funny type of experience where someone else is trying to play the character of Arya playing someone else. That's what I was, I was thinking would happen, but I, 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 I'm just not sure at this point because he speaks so cryptically and it's really hard to understand what he's saying and and what's going on with this plot. Um, So if if we get to see at, at any point, Arya become another person to me, that's, the most intriguing thing because I wonder if the show will go there and, and re recast her or have more than one person playing her like the Holson twins or something. So I, I think that'd be pretty interesting. Ah, I don't want to lose Maisie Williams. That's my problem yeah. with the whole thing. <laughs> I don't. Uh, Maggie, how about you? What are you thinking on this? Um, I'm, I'm very intrigued by Aria's storyline. Um, I like the way that she's growing. I I'm also very intrigued by the thought of her of them uh, temporarily recasting her as she puts on a new face. But uh, like others have said, I'm kind of I, I don't want that to happen because I love that actress. She's doing so well. Um, so I I I want to see Arya outside of the house of black and white, uh, kind of doing some other things. She's been sweeping and cleaning dead bodies for a while. Um, I, I'd like to uh, at least see her uh, interact with more people. Excellent. All right, cool. And uh, Jake, let's go, let's let it finish up with you. I know that you said initially you just didn't know what was going to happen. Um, I, I feel like you actually probably do, but I thank you for leaving it open like that. Uh, but did any of the ideas that we have excite you? Uh, 
I mean, I I didn't read the listen to the BR section of the Initial Reaction podcast, so I'm not quite sure what you guys got into. Can I? Am I allowed to bring up a a, a press photo or a photo that was released before season five? No, we can't even um, do that. that. Sorry. No. Okay. Never mind. Um. I mean, honestly, I don't know the difference between what he said that she wasn't ready for and what she is ready for. Um, it's, I mean, we'll probably get, you know, some clarification later. I just think it was a bit too vague and odd for him to say that. Um, I don't know. Yeah, totally understandable. It was very vague language. Uh, and, uh, and, and interesting turn of phrase, the difference between someone else and no one. I, I, I love the thought of it. Um, I'm going to hear you about what's, what I think might happen next in the show, not based on the books at all. I'll say that. Uh, hey, Matt? Hello? Hey, it's Gary. Yeah. Okay. I just had a thought. It's sort of like, you know, like Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise, whenever he's in a, whenever he's in a, um, a movie, it's always Tom Cruise. But then there are other actors who disappear into the role. I think that's I think that's what the difference between being no one or someone else. That okay. is that she's kind of at that point where she can she can play she can play something that she knows. Like Tom Cruise knows how to be Tom Cruise on, on in a movie, but I don't not, I don't think that she can play like I said before, an old man. Gotcha. I understood. Uh and uh, and I have to differ with you, Gary. Uh, you know, Tom Cruise is just a chameleon. <laughs> I'm joking. Uh <Yeah>. anyway. <laughs> uh but uh let's move on to three words, guys. All right, this is the part of the episode where you try to describe the episode in three words. I will give mine first. Uh, and I had a lot of them, and most of them were very reactionary uh, right before I puked after I watched the episode. Uh, but I, uh, I, I, I'll, I'll go ahead and say them. I'll say one of them was, Theon, do something. Um, and another one was, I am destroyed. Uh, and I think I put a third one too, but I don't remember what that one was. So those are my three words. Uh, I'm going to pick on Maggie first. Do you have three words to describe this episode? Um, uh, oh, this is difficult. Um, oh, my. it's okay, Sansa. It's okay, Sansa. Mhm. All right. Excellent. All right. And let's go to let's go to Donald next. Donald, your three words for this episode. Yeah, I had two sets of three words. The, right the first one was the first one was kind of similar to yours. It was "Come on, Theon," uh, because of that lingering shot with Theon. I was thinking he would do something, or we would see him moving towards the screen, and it would just cut to black. Then next week we would find out something happened. And then um, I don't know if this is technically three words, but I had faceless woman uh, for Arya because I, I, I would like to see that happen. We'll 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 hyphenate or 
not even hyphenated that. How can we do that? We'll just uh, we'll just make face and less two different words. There we go. That's the way to do it. Excellent, Donald. Thank you very much. Uh, who am I going to pick on next? Let's go to uh, Jake. How about your three words? I'll uh, put a twist on the words of House Stark and say Stannis is coming. Stannis is coming. All right. Very good. Hopefully for Lindsay. Yeah. Uh, and uh, how about Gary? How about your three words, sir? I actually have two. Okay. Uh, less is more about the scene because they really didn't show it for, and it, they really didn't show us anything, but oh, it had an impact. Yeah. And, and for Aria, the actor's studio. Ah, very good. I like it. I like it a lot. Uh, how about you, Kelly? Three words for this episode. Gotta happen once an episode. I put myself on mute. Sorry. <laughs> um, little finger of Oz as a reference to the man behind the curtain. Ah, very good, very good. I like it. I like it a lot. And here's some more tweets, emails, etc. Rafflemates of the week is the section of the show where you try and pick the best coupling of the week. It doesn't have to be two people. It can be a person and an idea, a person and an object. Um, one of our friend Bubba from the Joffrey of Podcasts' favorite ones is uh, probably this week a, uh, a dwarf organ and a cellar. Um, but uh, let's see, who else we, we, might we have here picking up three uh, brothel mates of the week? Mine are Jorah and Tyrion. I, I know I'm, a lot of people said that, and I'm kind of stealing from them, but I, I really did. Uh, I appreciated the two of them uh, sharing that moment about, uh, about Jorah's father. So uh, let's go to you, Kelly, for three words. Or, uh, pardon me, brothel mates. <laughs> My first one, I have two. Uh, Theon and Reek. I want them to work it out, and I want them <laughs> to come to an understanding and to figure themselves out. <laughs> okay, very good. And your second set? My second one was Matt and the show. I don't want you to quit. Okay, I won't. <laughs> I promise. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, that was an easy one. You you did that really well. Uh, let's go to uh, once again to Jake for a best coupling? Uh, I guess I'll go with Littlefinger and himself. Right on. Um, let's go to Gary. Mine is Jorah and Regrets. Oh. Ah, that's good. That's really good. I like that. I like that a lot. Uh, how about you, Maggie? Do you have brothel mates for this week? Very good. And uh, Donald, you get the final three words, I guess. Or uh, brothel mates, pardon me. <laughs> okay. Um, Doran and the wheelchair. Because it seems like that's all he does is just sit on that balcony in that wheelchair. Never moves. <laughs> you sure you don't want to make it a menage a trois and include the, <laughs> the, the, uh, the, the foyer as well? <laughs> well, I could include uh, 
Ariel and, and the axe as well. And just like, oh. <laughs> oh, now we've got an orgy. Now we've got an orgy. All right, great. Thanks, Donald. And here's some more brothel mates of the week in the form of tweets, emails, etc. What happened to the PG rating? Uh, well, you can talk about orgies just as long as you don't describe what's happening, can't you? <laughs> orgy was a vocab word in eighth grade. I will say that. <laughs> Keep it say, I'm pretty sure that I had a seventh grade spelling bee with that one, so I, I think we're okay. Um, what schools did you guys go to? <laughs> I don't know. We didn't. I don't think we defined it. I don't. I think it might have had a different meaning. I don't know. No. Oh, no. You're thinking of origami. That's what you're thinking of. No, I'm just kidding. Oh, my uh, God. Uh, let's see. Here we go. Uh, guys, thanks so much for joining me. Really appreciate it. I want to give everybody a chance to plug their Internet presence if they wish, or, or you can just give it the final thought about the episode, or both. Let's start with my buttle. My buttle. My buddy Donald. See, I can't even say anything now. I'm all talked out. Um, Donald, thank you so much for joining me on not one, but two podcasts this week. I appreciate your time. And uh, how can people talk to you about Game of Thrones or A Song of Ice and Fire on Twitter, sir? Okay, uh, just follow me on, on Twitter, Donald Jr., and just berate me with insults if you want to. I'm, I'm okay with that as long as we just uh, debate it out. I'm fine with it. Right on. Thank you, Donald, for joining me. Appreciate it, sir. And uh, you can find Donald on numerous other podcasts, including Podtourage, uh I don't know how many of you... Donald, do you have any of your old podcasts still up on feeds, or are they all down, or what's going on there? <laughs> I have no idea. Someone took my, all my URLs, but uh, the X-Files podcast will probably come back when the, the new season of X-Files comes on, so uh, I'm definitely, I'm definitely going to put that back up. Yay! Excellent! All right, I'm looking forward to that, then. That'll be fantastic. I loved your X-Files. Re- what was that, Reopening the X-Files podcast is yeah. what it was called? Yes. Yeah. Excellent. I'm looking forward to that, sir. I can't wait to hear your thoughts on, on that when it comes back. I'm really excited for it. Mitch Pileggi, man, he's coming back. Yeah, the whole cast. It's a great oh. Excellent. Excellent. All right. Uh, well, thanks again, Donald. I really appreciate it. Uh, Maggie, if you have an Internet presence, feel free to plug it. Um, uh, if, or you can just give a final thought about the episode if you wish. Uh, you can find me at MopiTinyFiceBee on Twitter, um, and I thoroughly enjoyed coming on and chatting with everybody, uh, and I hope uh, less people go through rough stuff next week, more positive action. Excellent. Yeah, I think we all hope that for certain. Uh, Thank you, Maggie, very much. Uh, Let's turn to you, Jake. If you have an Internet presence that you wish to plug, feel free, or if you have a final thought about the episode, uh, feel free to share that too. Sure. I'm jponcer93 on Twitter. Um, Just really glad to be on the live call and show. It's the first one that they've been able to make it to because I usually work Monday nights. Um, Love the podcast, by the way because this is like the only podcast that I like that's actually done with all the books, and I'm right in the middle of book, um, books four and five and ten and read right now. Really enjoying the reread. Just like to say that. Oh, thank you so much for listening to those. I appreciate it, and uh, thanks for joining in on the podcast. I've gotten lots of three-word tweets and stuff like that from you and emails, and I appreciate you coming on, being able to come on and talk to us tonight. Um, so, so thanks again. Uh, let's go to Kelly. 
How about your uh, inner net presence, if you wish, or any final thoughts about this episode? I'm on Facebook and in this chat of Climb a Wall. And I will be on as many fan calling shows as Matt will let me. <laughs> Just for this episode, I, I really appreciate the, the dialogue that a show like this can open up. And, um, you know, you get a lot of different opinions about it, and it just it provides an opportunity for people to talk about different issues. And, you know, I, I value that in it. So um, for everybody who, who rage quitted, I hope you come back. And uh, <laughs> I, uh, I I love it. And I'm, I'm glad that Matt sounds like he's a little more calm now about it. Well, uh, I'm not really calm about the scene, but I'm willing to keep watching. Let me just put it that way. Uh, yeah. But, but thank you so much, Kelly. Appreciate it. And uh, finally, Gary, uh, how about an Internet presence from you, sir, and any final thoughts on the episode? Um, as, internet, as for Internet presence, it is at GC Swift 2, that's Golf, Charlie, Sierra, Whiskey, India, Foxtrot, Tango, and the number two at Gmail, at at Google Plus, at Facebook, yada, 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 yada. Um, whereas, as, when we're talking about this episode, there were really highs and re- there were some great highs and there were some really low lows. And I think my, I think my, um, my ranking of the episode was kind of, was kind of reflective of that. Um, the stuff with Arya and Jorah and the stuff in King's Landing was some of the best of what Game of Thrones does. The the stuff with the in Dorne, as much as long as we waited for Dorne, it's really disappointing as how as how they're falling down on it. Oh, I'm hoping that in this in this backstretch of episodes that they that they get all this that they get the stuff straightened out and we actually start seeing some movement and actual reason for it um and i just can't wait to see what what they what they come up with next week because there is an episode next sunday even though there's even though there's memorial day they haven't stopped so everyone keep watching everyone have a good night all right thanks gary and uh yes we do have an episode uh this memorial day weekend and you will get an initial reaction on memorial day Chances are you probably won't listen to it till Tuesday. If you're uh, a normal person in the U.S., you'll be either sleeping in on a Monday because you have the day off or who knows. But it'll be there for you whenever you uh, want to get there, and I will be there too, despite everything you heard from the Initial Reaction podcast. I will be there. I just questioned this show for a moment. And uh, we will have a uh, BR feedback section after the end music here and after Axel Foley tells you how to contact me with your thoughts, complaints, praises, whatever you wish. <laughs>